Good morning. Today's reading is taken from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 9 to 17, which may be found on page 973, 973 of the Purple Bible, which will be in the seat in front of you or nearby, or maybe even underneath the seat. Nine hundred and seventy three. The calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, he asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus questioned about fasting. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Thanks be to God. Well, it's really lovely to be at St. Mary Bethany today. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation to be with you. Uh, just so you know, after I preached, I'm going to go and spend a little bit of time with the young people. So if I shoot off at that point, it's not because I've taken offence or whatever, but it'll be very nice to spend a little time with them as well. So shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful story of the call of Matthew. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak through it to our hearts and our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this season of flu vaccinations and COVID boosters, here are four tips from the chief pharisaical medical officer as to how to remain spiritually fit this winter. One, have a law jab. A legalistic inoculation will keep you from catching any nasty habits which might trouble lesser mortals. Two, avoid all contact with infectious people. It's best for the healthy to stick together and to be clearly segregated from the riffraff to prevent troublesome spiritual contagion. Three, keep a positive mindset regarding yourself as completely healthy. This can best be done by a, spirit, a strict observance of religious regulations and by daily comparing your spiritual condition to that of the inhabitants of Wormwood Scrubs. 
Four, boost that mindset further by cultivating a positive public image. Ensure that the media are clearly informed before you intend to give to charity so that you can hand over the cheque, preferably six foot by three, in a large public ceremony attended by the people who really matter. There's something about the legalistic mindset of many of the Pharisees in gospel times that was so judgmental and so hypocritical that ongoing conflict was inevitable the moment Jesus stepped onto the scene. Relatively mild conflict to begin with, but eventually what would become a fight to the death. Both Jesus and the Pharisees believed that the law of Moses was God's word. Both Jesus and the Pharisees were seeking to live holy lives based on that law. Both Jesus and the Pharisees might therefore be expected to have been on completely the same page. And perhaps that accounts for first the puzzlement and then the disapproval and then the sheer rage uh, on the Pharisees' part when this popular young rabbi began to behave in such a totally unorthodox fashion to dismantle the strict walls between the righteous and the unrighteous, which they'd carefully constructed over the centuries, and instead to meet and greet and eat with tax collectors and sinners, and even to invite some of them, like Matthew in our Gospel reading today, to become part of his leadership team. Yet Jesus had seen something which many others were completely blind to, First, that the Pharisees' approach denied people help when they needed it most. And secondly, that their self-imposed isolation from large chunks of normal humanity may have protected them from a cold, but at the cost of developing something far more serious, spiritual heart disease, a hardening of the spiritual arteries. I guess what lay behind that was a tired disillusionment, a deep sadness that after so many years and after so many hopes about a great Messiah coming and after some of those hopes being dashed, Judas Maccabeus, two centuries before Jesus came along, eventually that whole movement had fizzled out. Israel was still under Roman domination. There wasn't any fresh prophecy around and hopes of a messianic age seemed further away than ever. Disillusionment always creates a kind of sour attitude, a sourness towards new projects, new progress, and new people. It creates a cynicism towards those who are creative and energetic. Just give them time, it says wearily, they'll learn. It leads to legalism, traditionalism, a hardness of heart. It hides a suppressed anger, which every now and then explodes into wild and irrational fury. And in contrast with that attitude, with the sourness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, our Bible reading today brings to the fore a man called Matthew, known in Luke's Gospel as Levi, as just the latest in the line of the most unlikely recipients of God's amazing grace. Here was a man whose profession stirred up the most negative emotions in the religious people of his day, and often with good reason. Here was a Roman collaborator, an extortionist, someone in daily contact with both filthy Gentiles and filthy Luca, a real spiritual leper. Unlike a leper, too, he'd actually chosen this way of life for himself. 
He'd gone for the interview. He'd accepted the job offer. To put it more succinctly, you couldn't excuse Levi on the basis that it was all in the genes. Just look at his response. Look at the way in which Matthew was captured by the joyful, liberating, contagious power of the kingdom of God. Just two words from Jesus, follow me. Just two words were enough to make him leave it all behind, to turn his back on a table full of cash and a highly lucrative career, and to enact instead a typically kingdom drama, the invitation of all his riffraff friends to a great banquet at which Jesus, the amazing Jesus, would be the after-dinner speaker. Just two words thought about repentance of the most decisive and radical kind. So here was the Pharisees' response to the response. Nothing too extreme at this point at least, but just a snide little question put to the disciples behind Jesus' back. Why does your teacher, they asked, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Decades of segregation, centuries of disillusionment, hopes raised, hopes dashed, all came together in that moment and dozens other like it, where astonishing conversions and miraculous healings were met not with the joy and praise and adoration that they deserved, but instead quite the opposite, with cynicism, sourness, condemnation. So what was Jesus' response to the response to the response? It was simple but incisive. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, he said, but the sick. Just 12 words, clinically exposing both the hardness of heart and the sheer irrationality of the whole pharisaical approach. A little while ago, a lump appeared on my shoulder and I made what is blessedly a rare trip to my local GP to find out what it was. And when I walked into her consulting room and took off my shirt for her to have a look, I'm glad to report that she didn't say, ugh, how disgusting, I'm not treating that, get away, get away, only come back when it's better. Just imagine though if the chief pharisaical medical officer had been in charge of that surgery. I don't suppose I would have made it past uh, the note on the front door with the message, the doctor is only seeing well people today. Whatever illness you have, please return to the surgery when you're completely better. It would be a complete nonsense, wouldn't it? But here we have to hold together two complementary truths in the New Testament. A Jesus who combines a radical welcome on the one hand and a radical call to discipleship on the other. We tend to love the first, we tend to be a little bit more unsure about the second. Jesus combined the two, or as John put it more succinctly, Jesus is full of grace and truth. In the Pharisees' book, it was truth that had to come first, and indeed there wasn't a lot of grace there anyway. Lives had to be moral, or certainly to look as though they were moral. Sinners had to clean up their act. But here was something of a catch-22, because whatever hole a Matthew or Mary Magdalene had fallen into, how could they hope to escape without someone standing sufficiently close to that hole to help haul them out? 
Of course, that person would need to be standing on solid ground themselves if they weren't going to be pulled into the hole. Of course, they'd need to know their potential weaknesses and not put themselves in stupid or compromising positions. But the idea of forming some kind of holy huddle away from the whole as far away as possible, of creating a, a kind of exclusively pharisaical or exclusively Christian club, wouldn't help anyone to grow in holiness, including the increasingly smug club members. And while Jesus shared the Pharisees' perspective that evil could be contagious, his overriding message was that goodness is more contagious still. It is light that excludes darkness. It is salt that prevents rottenness. It is healing that overcomes sickness and love that is stronger than hatred, to which Jesus' post-resurrection followers would add, and it's life that triumphs over death. So could Jesus and the Pharisees maybe meet somewhere in the middle, each giving a little bit of ground here and a little bit of ground there and coming to some happy compromise? It would have been possible, of course, if the Pharisees had been willing to recognize their heart disease and the hardening of their spiritual arteries and to come to Dr. Jesus for treatment, just as Matthew did, instead of hiding behind the ridiculous facade of their much-trumpeted righteousness. And we know of some individual Pharisees who chose to do just that. The most famous of all of them, of course, was Saul of Tarsus. But without such recognition, no compromise was possible. For Jesus hadn't come to patch up the old Pharisee religion. That would be as daft as taking a beautiful new shirt and tearing it up so as to patch uh, a grotty old pair of trousers you were about to throw out. Jesus hadn't come to pour the new wine of the kingdom of God into the tired, hardened, inflexible wineskins of the Pharisees. To try and do so, he said, would be disastrous anyway, because the bubbly new wine would simply burst its way through the hard old wineskins. Jesus had come to put grace before truth. He wasn't full of truth and grace, according to St. John. He was full of grace and truth. Grace comes first. To start with the call to follow me and then to watch with joy and amazement as a great motley crew of people chose to do exactly that, embracing a quite new way of life in the process. A whole lot of tax collectors and sinners having a banquet together with Jesus at the head of the table certainly wasn't the Pharisees' idea of heaven on earth, but it was Jesus' idea of heaven on earth. And ultimately, there's no compromise between those two positions. So how are we experiencing Jesus' radical welcome right now? Are we able to share in Matthew's joyful enthusiasm and to echo those breathless words of St. John? See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, he says. If not, how about asking for a fresh touch of God's Holy Spirit this morning to reconnect us with our Abba Father and with the extraordinary thing it is to be his beloved children? And how are we living Jesus' radical call to discipleship right now? Have we turned our backs on those tablefuls of cash, as it were, on our surreptitious worship of mammon, 
so as to live lives that give and not grasp, lives of sacrificial generosity and hospitality and true holiness, lives that seek first the kingdom of God and wonderfully experience God's faithfulness along the way. If not, today's the day. And a final question. What are we doing about the little Pharisee within almost all of us? That hardening of the spiritual arteries characterized by hypocrisy and judgmentalism, which is an ever-present danger for almost every child of God, this bishop very much included. How close are we to standing to the side of the whole, if we're not in the whole ourselves, as we seek to draw a great motley crew into the transforming love of our Father God? That's what happened to Matthew, as just two words, follow me, lifted him up from his life as a greedy Roman collaborator into a new life as an apostle, evangelist, and the author of the gospel that stands in his name. And that is what will happen to many more, as we allow ourselves to be blown by the spirit of Jesus wherever he would have us. In the challenging words of C.T. Studd, once a cricketer for England, and then a missionary. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning recognizing ourselves in Matthew and perhaps recognizing ourselves in the Pharisees as well. We want to thank you, Lord, for Matthew's amazing response to the call of Jesus. And to thank you, Lord, for that radical discipleship that he embraced from that moment on as he knew himself to be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We want to acknowledge too, Lord, the little Pharisee that can be within us trying to justify our every action. Critical of those whose lives are in a mess. Sometimes tempted to stay away from the side of the hole and just to engage with people like us who won't challenge us or won't call on us to reach out and rescue them. And Lord, we long to identify with Jesus in this story and we pray, Spirit of Jesus, that you would fill our hearts afresh this day you would turn them from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that beat with your love for the world and especially for the lost within it. Help us, Lord, to be those who radically welcome others into our lives. Help us to be hospitable, to be sacrificial in our giving. Help us to wonder afresh this day, Lord, at 
the lavishness of your love that we should be children of God and that is what we are in Jesus name Amen